0: At first glance, Penwood High School, just a few miles outside of Philadelphia, looks like a lot of other schools. Think long hallways lined with classrooms and glass cases displaying student artwork, clumsy still life paintings and heavy pottery. A large quote is painted on the wall.
1: Yeah, So it says education is the most powerful weapon which you can use to change the world. And then we have a fan right below there because I'm assuming the um, cooling system probably isn't working.
0: The deeper you get into the building, the more you realize it's crumbling. Now take a 20 minute drive to another public high school. This one's a few miles farther away from Philly. Here you'll find a very different setting. One so perfect, it kind of feels like a movie set.
2: When I tell you I walked in, And I thought I was in high school musical.
3: They had
0: like a ballet studio. They had a pool. They had all of these workout places. The architecture firm that designed this school has an entire page dedicated to it on its website. It has a college style lecture hall, an 850 seat auditorium, a black box theater, a greenhouse, multiple gyms, a central courtyard and a two story library. This is the problem with Pennsylvania public schools in a nutshell.
2: You need more money. Money. Budget.
4: Money. Budget.
2: Money. Funding. 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 We don't have enough
0: funding for this. We don't have enough funding for that. While some schools have resources in abundance, others are falling apart and barely functioning. And it's affecting the lives of hundreds of thousands of kids and families across the state. Now a landmark court ruling could change how Pennsylvania schools are funded, potentially bridging these gaps. From WHYY, this is Schooled, a podcast where we tell the story of public schools through the eyes of students, parents, and teachers. I'm Aubrey Uhas. This season, a deep dive into the stark differences between public schools in Pennsylvania, the system that creates these gaps, and the lawsuit that could change things forever. We'll introduce you to the people who have dedicated their lives to solving the state's problem with school funding.
5: I got involved in thinking that, you know, I can't leave these problems to other people.
0: And we'll take you to another state that's made slow but steady progress on this thorny issue. New Jersey has a school finance formula that's a model for the nation. A major court ruling says Pennsylvania's current system violates the state's constitution. This has been going on for so many years. Is this finally our moment? But what real impact will it have? This problem exists across the United States since schools are funded in part by local property taxes. And it doesn't get much worse than in Pennsylvania. Here, disparities between schools in rich and poor areas, which mostly also fall along racial fault lines, are massive. And the state does little to fill the gap. What's happened as a result is a de facto segregated school system that especially disadvantages Black and brown children. In this episode, a firsthand look at one Pennsylvania school district. And how a lack of resources affects everyday life for students and teachers. We're in Delaware County, a densely populated suburb near Philadelphia.
1: We're currently at Penwood High School in Lansdowne. Your high school. Yeah, my um, previous high school where I graduated in 2021.
0: Nashari Stewart is 20 years old in her second year of college and home for spring break. And she's offered to show us around Penwood to give us an insider's look. Nashari has good memories of this place. When she was a student, she excelled in her classes, competed in mock trial, and served as a student representative on the district school board.
1: You know, it's been the same building since the day that the high school opened up, so it's not in the best of shape.
0: The building was pretty impressive when it first opened in 1927. It was built by a contractor named John McShane, who would later construct two well-known landmarks in Washington, D.C., the Pentagon and the Kennedy Center. He built the school in an Italian Renaissance style with intricate stonework. Maintaining this once great building has been a challenge since money is always tight. And that's even though the school's district, William Penn, has one of the highest property tax rates in the state. There just isn't a lot of wealth to tax here. Property across the majority black school district is worth about $1.5 billion. And that may sound like a lot, but compared to nearby districts, it's minuscule. One has nearly four times as much wealth, another 10 times. Both of those districts are predominantly white
1: see you, too. How are oh.
0: you?
6: How are you doing? I'm good. Yeah, hi. Nice hi. to meet you. Nice so, you. My name is Judy Lee. I'm the principal here. Judy
0: Lee has been the principal at Penwood since 2016. She knows the building and its problems better than anyone.
1: Remember heat? heat? No. Like, oh, there's no heat, yeah. <laughs> no, heat. <laughs> no heat. No heat, yeah.
0: Another issue is overcrowding. The building has been cramped since the district merged three high schools into one in the early 1980s as a result of the Brown versus Board of Education ruling. If public education was supposed to be the great equalizer, Brown was going to finally deliver on that promise. But that didn't happen. Across the country, white families moved to avoid integration or enrolled their children in private schools instead. In some places, property values plummeted, starving schools for resources. And with time, many schools effectively resegregated.
1: Although that sign before you enter says you know, food or drinks prohibited, students have to eat in here because they don't have anywhere else to eat.
0: We're in a small gym where you have to shout to be heard over the air conditioner. Is, is this what it sounds like when students are in here? Yes. It's be hard for them to talk. Yes. The actual cafeteria is too crowded. And even with the gym used for overflow, there still isn't enough room for everyone to eat comfortably.
6: Stay share Like, Dr. Lee, I don't want to be in that space. It's too crowded. I'm sorry. I don't have any other space for you.
0: We walk downstairs and can't help but notice a big hole in the wall. How did
6: that have, what is that? So there was a, a situation and um, still basically... Um, could not control um, his anger, so he punched it, and then the wall broke.
0: When
1: was that?
6: That was uh, last year.
0: And then there's the library, and you can see that like
1: the paneling from the ceiling is like coming down. Look like it's about to fall off. The small
0: windowless room has a water stained drop ceiling.
1: We're still currently without a librarian, and so in order for students to be here, the teacher needs to you know take off from their lunch or their prep period. Uh, to be down here so that students can be supervised while they're in here. Supervision.
0: Because the building doesn't have enough staff, students can't move freely, and spaces like the auditorium and library are locked. Even when the library is open, it's not all that helpful.
1: A lot of these books are outdated. Even some of the books that we use in our classrooms are outdated, or they're missing pages, or there aren't enough textbooks,
0: so we have to share a lot, a lot of the time. Principal Lee points to something on the floor. We also had
1: mice
6: infestation in the building, so you will see the mouse trap.
0: It's an old-fashioned snap
6: trap. We caught like 10 mice uh, in my office and also at the library, so we have been calling exterminator, but the mouse trap is not really working.
0: <laughs> Principal Lee says over the winter, when the mouse problem was at its worst, staff had to clean mouse droppings off their desks every morning. Because the root
6: cause is the building uh, structure. But we are not able to handle the root cause of the situation. We are only using the Band-Aids.
0: All of this, the crowding, the crumbling walls, the mice, makes teaching and learning tough.
6: Yeah, one time the mice actually um, just running through the classroom when class was happening. And teacher screamed and stood On the chair and students were screaming and it was just not uh, conducive for our students' education.
0: Nasheri says the mice weren't a problem when she was a student. But she remembers lots of times when lessons were interrupted because of facility issues. Like the time they were reading Shakespeare in English class and a pipe in the ceiling burst. Water came gushing down and they had to evacuate the classroom those minutes
1: they amount to a lot of hours eventually. And that can really take a toll on like what you're able to learn and what curriculum is able to get through. And before you know it, you know, you're a little bit behind. And you know, being behind, especially when other schools are around you, like they aren't behind and you know, we're all trying to get into the same colleges later on, so
0: Nashri looks around the library, at its wood paneled walls, at its dusty and mostly empty shelves.
1: You no, know, I always feel like like the world like it continues to change around us and our schools need to keep up with that. Um, And unfortunately, you know, you can see the school hasn't been able to keep up with
0: that. Principal Lee knows the facility situation is frustrating for students and teachers. It's frustrating for her, too. But without more money, there isn't much she can do.
6: Our uh, school culture is basically um, unity because if we don't work together,
1: we are not going to make it.
0: That sense of unity is why Nasheri visits Penwood whenever she can
1: Growing up here, like, I've had to do the best that I can with what I have. I think that translates really well into college when you're in a new environment. And so taking those same skills I've sort of had to learn here to, sur- to survive here, I'm now taking to using college to thrive there. And so I think it you know, works out.
0: But she knows that going to a school like this can make kids feel like they're being left behind. Forgotten.
1: When your school isn't, you know, in the best of shape, it can make you feel bad about yourself and your own self-esteem. And, and it makes you wonder, like, why, why aren't you worth the necessary funding to have what, what other schools have?
0: How much money do you think your school spends each year? I don't
1: know, maybe a thousand. Five hundred? Probably, like... $30? $30? I don't know. Actually, 50
0: 50 School funding is not something the average kid knows that much about, let alone how much it costs to run a school. But this issue is certainly on the minds of current students at Pennwood High School.
3: Paul, do you want to go first?
0: Yeah, okay. Trinity Giddings and Paul Vandy are seniors. They spend a lot of time together, in the classroom and after school. They even co-host a podcast. The topic? School funding.
3: Hello, everyone. This is Trinity and Paul, and welcome to Pending Funds. the podcast
0: about- Paul is also a representative on the district school board.
2: A lot of times when I was trying to bring up issues, I always went back to, you know, funding, funding, funding. We don't have enough funding for this, so we don't have enough funding for
0: that. But he didn't understand why.
2: If I'm always running into the roadblock at our, in our own school, let me kind of get to the heart of it and kind of see real, what's really going on.
0: So Paul and Trinity started doing their own research.
2: Welcome back to Pending Funds. Today, we're going to be talking about how public schools are funded. A little over $7 billion gets spread out over 500 school
0: districts. They learned that Pennsylvania relies more heavily on local property taxes to fund schools than almost all other states. That's why some schools have so much more money than others. And why their school has so much less. During their freshman year, Paul and Trinity saw that discrepancy firsthand when they went to another school district for a speech and debate competition. They took a 20-minute drive north to one of the state's wealthiest school districts, Lower Marion.
2: I never seen what Lower Marion looked like. I didn't look it up, really. So I was kind of just walking in blind.
0: You might have heard of it because of its most notable graduate, the late NBA superstar, Kobe, Bryant. Kobe Bryant. When they got to the school for their competition, Paul and Trinity could not believe their eyes.
3: There's like a cafeteria kind of outside, like. They can kind of eat like outside. There's all these tables. We're like, oh wow, that's nice.
2: I thought it was like this this is a fantasy experience because the ceilings were huge.
3: We go in there, man. Their lockers were the size of refrigerators. You could sleep in there.
2: The place was spacious. It looked like amazing. It was pristine. It was like it was updated. I never seen like a fully updated school.
3: And there's a robot, and they're literally the robot is like. Like the the huge thing with the crane arm and the robotics team of students, people who are my age, are helping build this robot. And the robot's arm is like passing a basketball back and forth between them. Penwood has its own robotics team, but. Like if you want to build a robot, you have to buy the parts. And if you want to join the club, you have to take on extreme financial commitment.
2: So walking around. Everyone from our school was shocked, actually. Everyone was saying, like, people go to school
0: here? This district has a lower tax rate than William Penn, but still brings in way more money because its property is worth so much more. Drive around the winding, leafy roads with beautiful, stately mansions, and you'll understand why. As a result, Lower Marion spends $13,000 more per student each year than William Penn.
2: Going to different schools and really getting to see starkly, like, oh, this is a kid that looks just like me going to school and this is where they're going with, you know, pools and, you know, full basketball courts and all this cool stuff. Getting exposed to all that made me realize, like, yeah, our school isn't where it should be, I guess.
0: And it isn't just a matter of having extra things like dance studios and robots. There are also major academic differences between the two districts. Lower Marion touts its liberal arts curriculum with more than 200 courses. Students can earn an international baccalaureate diploma which is considered by many to be the most rigorous. Penwood offers about a dozen advanced placement courses, but there's no fancy diploma and overall class options are far more limited. Later that year, the kids from Lower Marion's Speech and Debate team visited Penwood. Trinity says there weren't even enough classrooms available. So
3: we were in closets, quite literally. I had a round in a storage closet because
0: there was no more room. Some of the rounds took place in the library. The one with the mouse traps.
3: They had to unlock the library and there were all these dust on the books. And they're like, why is this space unused? And we can't even tell them why. And kids are like laughing and wondering why this school looks like this. And you just have to be quiet and not mention that it's your school. Paul was upset by what the
0: students said.
2: I'm not any different from any you know, other student down the road. But knowing that they get opportunities that I don't, just because, you know, you know how much money their parents have, things that were out of my control, You know, it hurts you because you just feel like, what what can I do about this?
0: Paul and Trinity's district is far from the only one that is struggling. Research suggests the majority of Pennsylvania school districts are underfunded because of the state's reliance on local property taxes. One study commissioned by the state found the difference between what schools have and what they need to be $4.6 billion dollars. For scale, that's 40,000 school buses, 1.5 billion lunches, or 3 trillion pencils. And the study confirms something else.
2: Children do not come to our buildings all the same.
0: That's William Penn Superintendent Eric B. Coates. More than 20% of William Penn's roughly 5,000 students have a special education plan, and about two-thirds are low-income. These students tend to need more support which makes them more expensive to teach.
2: That's what can really be disheartening when you're looking at students who you know need the additional support and you're trying to find ways to get it to them, and you don't have the resources to
1: do it.
0: Last year, about 30% of William Penn's elementary and middle school students were found to be proficient in reading, and less than 10% in math. Let that sink in for a moment. That means the vast majority of students here are not hitting the mark. And then there's the district's graduation rate. Statewide, roughly 90% of students graduate from high school in four years. At Penwood, it's closer to 80%. The issue of school funding and its impact on students and teachers has recently gotten national attention thanks to the hugely popular sitcom Abbott Elementary.
4: What y'all think about this little film crew I brought in here? We about to be on TV. Because they are covering underfunded, poorly managed public schools in America. No press is bad press,
0: Barb. A comedy which is set in Philly spotlights disastrous building conditions and a variety of other budgetary woes from low salaries to large class sizes and the need for teachers to fundraise. These are all issues Sheila Armstrong is familiar with. Sheila is a lifelong Philadelphian who has had her share of ups and downs but has always landed on her feet. She credits her faith.
4: Okay, Sheila Armstrong is a Christian. Sheila Armstrong is a strong woman. Sheila Armstrong is a fighter. Sheila's
0: home is filled with encouraging statements, including a blanket she likes so much she hung it on the wall.
4: And it says that you are strong, beautiful, chosen, amazing, special, unique, lovely, creative. The
0: words are there to inspire her, as well as her two boys, Skylar and Simeon.
4: I got a a poster in my back door that says excuses stop here so before they go out they can't use no excuse if i ask and i'm fighting for an accountable system then i too have to be accountable and i'm teaching my sons that they have to be accountable
0: and it's because of her boys and because of that attitude that sheila was drawn into the fight for more school funding i never thought of myself as an advocate sheila says she first got involved more than a decade ago just as a concerned parent. It was 2012 and the school district of Philadelphia was in deep trouble financially. Cuts had to be made. And the year that I became the school president of the PTA
4: was the year that we found out that our schools was gonna get shut down.
0: Sheila's sons were attending their neighborhood public school, Harrison Elementary. She had no idea what to do, but she knew she had to fight to keep the school open.
4: Our school, Harrison Elementary School, was literally a real community school to me, okay, because everybody brought their issues to the school. Harrison Elementary School was connected
0: to Harrison Plaza Project. The public housing project where the family was living at the time. So when we knew that families had issues, it was easier to
4: bring the families to the school, have the meeting in the school, and give them the resources. They knew we worked with their children. That's how I I was able to build the relationship with the families, because they knew I care.
0: So she got petitions from residents and businesses in the community. When she finished, Sheila says she had over 5,000 signatures. Then she took the petition to the city's state-controlled school board and urged them to keep Harrison open. Despite her pleas, the board still voted to close eight schools that day, including Harrison. In total, they would close 30. It was big news.
3: This is wrong for these kids. These are children. It can't be your children. It's wrong.
0: Outrage after the Philadelphia School Reform Commission. It
4: felt like they didn't listen to us us at all. Sheila was angry. Man, and I tell people anger can be a good motivation sometimes. She thought about what to do. And I said, you know what, we need to sue, okay? All I know is people move when you sue somebody. You know, (laughs) we want to sue somebody, you know. And then somebody heard me say that, and then I was introduced to uh, Michael
5: Churchill. My name is Michael Churchill. I'm 39 years old, and, uh, but I was born in 1939, so I guess that makes me 83 years old. Uh, and I'm an attorney here at the Public Interest Law Center.
4: And he was like, Sheila, we're working on this case. I, I'm sorry, that's my Michael Churchill voice.
5: I remember talking to her, but I can't tell you when was the first meeting.
4: So he was like, Sheila, we're working on this case, okay, and I think you might be good for this case on us. Would you consider signing these document so we can do some research and stuff. Uh, I
5: just remember has, has just her energy. And that's, that's just a good way of putting it.
4: And I said, sure, Mike. All right, yes, come on, let's go, because I want to sue. All I know is we need our school back open.
0: Michael Churchill was the man to talk to, because he had already sued the state over education funding more than a decade before.
5: Philadelphia's schools were being overwhelmed with problems that they didn't have the ability to solve. It
0: was the late 90s. Enrollment had increased and the district was teaching a growing number of low-income students. They required more resources, like bilingual teachers and special education services. But Churchill says there was no funding increase based on the district's growth in population.
5: And when the statistics started coming out with, uh, through state testing about how far behind most Philadelphia schools were falling, uh, that was revelatory. The
0: statistics were alarming. Very few students could read, write, or do math on grade level.
5: I got involved in thinking that, you know, I can't leave these problems to other people.
0: <laughs> Michael, who was with the Public Interest Law Center by then, joined with city attorneys and the district to sue the state. In the case, he argued that the more black and brown students a district had, the further away they were from expected funding. Essentially, the state's funding practices were racist. As a result, Pennsylvania had failed to meet its constitutional obligation to provide a thorough and efficient education for Philadelphia students.
5: We thought that was um, good grounds for bringing a suit. But
0: the case didn't go as he hoped.
5: The um, state Supreme Court decided that school funding is clause in the state constitution was non justiciable.
0: That's a fancy way of saying the court didn't want to get involved. Which brings us back to Sheila. By 2013, Harrison had closed and her son's new school was dealing with significant budget cuts. Bigger class sizes, no libraries, and far fewer extracurriculars.
4: The biggest part that I was really concerned about is the nurse.
0: The district also fired many of its nurses. That meant the ones who were left had to cover multiple buildings.
4: And then with my son Skylar being asthmatic and having health issues, that was a big concern for me.
0: Sheila had good reason to worry. Around this time, a Philadelphia student died from an asthma attack that started when she was at school, and there was no nurse on duty. At Sheila's Sun's new school, she says there was a paper shortage, and textbooks and workbooks were out of date. And even those books were in short supply, so students weren't allowed to bring them home.
4: I thought of education reform as, one, deal with the money. And when the money get right, everything else is going to start getting right. Because then they won't have these excuses. Oh, we can't do curriculum changes because there ain't no money. We can't do building changes. There ain't no money. We can't do this. There ain't no money.
5: People thought the struggles that they were having was because of their own problems. That the people in the district thought what was here, we aren't, we aren't taxing ourselves enough or we're not working hard enough or we don't, we're, you know, we don't have the right leadership or, or something's wrong with us. Why are we struggling so? Without ever thinking that, hey, everybody else is struggling and the problem really is not what you're doing, but what's going on in Harrisburg.
0: Even though his earlier attempt had failed, Michael was ready to try again. It was time for him to go back to court. And this time, Sheila was coming with him.
4: When I started this case, I thought it was going to be like a typical lawsuit, like a car accident or something.
0: But it wasn't. It would take close to a decade for Sheila and the other petitioners to get their day in court.
4: At times, I felt stuck in this case because it was like,
0: I felt like I was being attacked. She wasn't just fighting for her son's school. She was taking on the
4: state. I'm going through everything when I know I'm doing the right thing. I know this is right.
0: And the state wouldn't dismantle the old system without a fight.
4: This was so much bigger than me. This was so much bigger than my children, my family, this city. This was about all the kids in our state.
0: Next time on Schooled, we're taking you to court. Who are these guys? What are they doing? Like, why are they complaining? We'll bring you deep inside the landmark school funding trial. You'll meet the key players and hear what they said on the stand.
1: They were able to bring up, like, emails between my mom and teachers and, like, thinking I was worried about, like, only girls in football. They were asking me questions as if they never went to high school before.
0: And find out what all this tells us about our education system and ourselves. I left in tears. It's unbelievable what the other side would say. That's next time on Schools. This is Schooled. I'm Oprah Yuhas. Our producers are Michael Olcott and Michaela Winberg. Our editor is Jamila Bay, and our engineer is Al Banks. Our tile art was made by Robert Dieters. Our executive producers are Sarah Glover and Tom Grassler. Special thanks to Mike and Scott, Gabriel Coffee, Kenny Cooper, Grant Hill, Susan Phillips, and Kayla Watkins. And to everyone who spoke with us for this podcast. Schooled is a production of WHYY. Find us wherever you get your podcasts.